thank you, Francisque, and thank you, John. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, once again, just thrilled to be here right now uh, to talk about SCAT, SCAT Enterprises, Inc. <coughs> and uh, I'll just read from the bio here on the Trade page. Uh, hello, Tom. How you doing? Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Good to see you. Um, just getting started here. I want to talk about your company a little bit and uh, and obviously talk about uh, to, to Frank about um, how he uses your products and what he's doing with building engines and Beck Racing Engines and all of that. But uh, from the ePart Trade page, SCAT Crankshafts offers a complete lineup of crankshaft from stock replacement to custom billet, I-beam and H-beam connecting rods and complete rotating assemblies for Chevy, Chevy LS, Ford, Ford Modular, Ford Vintage, Chrysler, Modern Hemi, Pontiac and sport compact and uh tom going to your web page uh first of all when it comes to scat um gosh you guys offer a whole lot more than that too uh with some of your other brands i know you're big into the vw and and seating as well which i find pretty interesting tell us a little bit more about the company well the company of course over the years has developed from uh you know the the early days and as opportunity came along i took advantage of it and so we do have uh, complete seating systems. Uh, we went into the seating business in 1980 and uh, we have about 17 different models of seats. Uh, we've, uh, you know, our seats are, are, are in a lot of interesting places. We supply the seats to the Copa Camaro. Uh, we supplied the seats to the Dodge Drag Pack uh, vehicle. Uh, we supply the seats to the military for their when they rebuild a destroyer or whatever for the seats in the wardroom so that the, the officers don't fall out of their chair when they hit high seas. Uh, we do a lot of uh, off-road type seats for the uh, Toyota for the, the, if you see the white pickup trucks running around in the Middle East, all those trucks are built in Alabama and they have our seats in it. And then of course we have the complete seating system, you know, for the aftermarket. And uh, the key to the whole thing is we make about 4,000 different brackets that actually fit the base of the floor pan. And then the seats have the a common base and they bolt together. So it's easy installation. And that side of the, the business is, uh, as far as interior is concerned, is really um, a, a great, you know, product line that, that's been very, very well accepted. And then Volkswagen, you know, we started with Volkswagen. That wasn't the original, but the opportunity came along in the very early 60s and we were one of the first ones to start to manufacture Volkswagen performance parts for the the Beetle, not the other vehicles, but just the Beetle. And uh, of course, in the early days, uh, it was great fun to go to the drag strip and take a Volkswagen and blow the doors off of a Camaro. And they they were, you know, when you have a, a 10 second, 10, 50 second Volkswagen passing your, your big block Camaro, uh, you know, there was some some folks that weren't exactly happy. But anyway, that's the side of the business that we've maintained all these years and it's it's great stuff. And then of course, uh, we started to make crankshafts in 1966, connecting rods 1972. And then as the business has grown, uh, the product line has expanded to what it is today. And uh, we have great engine builders like like Frank. You know, we're, the, we're behind the scenes. Uh, we're the ones that support the engine builders. And we support the racers because the crankshaft and the connecting rods are basically, if you look at it as, as your spine, I mean, your spine is, you know, connects the, you know, there's that song and I don't remember how it works, but it goes the knee bone to the, however that works. 
and and uh, that's basically the crankshaft and uh, the connecting rods and the rest of the black magic is guys like Frank that that take the basics and make it happen. And of course, the thing that uh, an engine builder is most in, you know concerned about is that everything stays together. And of course, that that rests on our shoulders. So we've um, you know been doing it for a long time, and the facility here in Redondo Beach is of course, complete manufacturing. And, you know, obviously we buy pistons and bearings from other people and things like that, but that's what we're about. Well, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, and especially with people always trying to make big power and boosting cars and doing all kinds of other stuff to have a good quality product in the internals uh, is, is essential. Uh, Frank, let's uh, talk to you as well. Um, Frank Beck, president of Beck Racing Engines. Just a little bit about your business and what you do and how SCAT helps you out. Well, we started in 1986 out of my garage and uh, quickly outgrew that within a few months and just been an upward spiral since. Uh, Tom has been a just uh, uh, John uh, mentioned Tom giving nuggets. Tom is a gold mine uh, of information, all his decades of doing this stuff, and he's very approachable. Uh, I don't think uh, a lot of people realize that, uh, you know, engine builders and distributors can call him directly. He may not be available to take the call right away, but he always gets back with me and uh, he's made my life easy. Uh, great product works great. We punish it, put it through stuff that uh, probably should never <laughs> done with it, but uh, it survived. And uh, you know, from all different aspects of what we do, uh, we build high-performance and racing engines for the marine environment, Bonneville, King of the Hammers, uh, a lot of drag race stuff. A lot of uh, drag and drive events is where my heart and soul really lies. Uh, Midwest Drags, uh, Rocky Mountain Race Week, Hot Rod Drag Week. I call it the Baja 1000 of drag racing. Uh, five days racing every day and driving your race car from track to track to track. And it's not around the corner. And, uh, of course, they always send us the worst possible way <laughs> through these uh, back roads. But, uh, so we've learned to use great products, build uh, endurance engines that last, and uh, having fun. So love what I do. I can imagine. So um, and that, that actually seems pretty awesome. Uh, and I'm sure everyone can hear you guys moving around through the country to go from track to track to track. Well, Tom, let's, let's talk about obviously longevity for you. I mean, you've been at this for decades now. You've seen all the trends you've watched, uh, you know, race and grow, and you've seen it go from here to there to what we're doing currently now. And as far as you and developing and continuing to find ways to, you know, help people make more power uh, in a more efficient way, but also a more durable way. Um, where are we right now? I, I guess in just the development of everything and what people are demanding, what people are looking for. Well, you know, the, the racing community uh, changes all the time. Uh, and that's what competition is all about. I mean, the, this engine builder comes up with a new secret and then the next engine builder says, well, watch this. And of course it always ends up on, uh, on our plate at some place along the line, because they're, they're thinking about different things and can we make this, can we do this, can we do that? And of course, having the manufacturing facility here, you know, we start with, uh, just a lump of steel, literally, uh, you know, we, we do an awful lot of crankshafts for the tractor pull guys. So, you know, when you walk into the shop, like if you're in the shop today, 
you'd see a, an 1,100-pound piece of steel that we're making into a 619 John Deere tractor pull crank, which we ship 240 pounds worth. So the challenge always for us is, is making sure that we've got the engine builder covered as far as meeting his needs and making sure that, that the, the processing that we do is of the highest quality to give him that product so that, because he's putting his name on this. And of course, like, like Frank says, you know, he loves this point to point as far as drag racing. Well, you know, um, calling the auto club in the middle of the desert between two racetracks to tow your race car is not a, you know, not a pleasant thing. So our challenge is always to support the racing community, no matter what it is, uh, not only the associations, but, you know, the individual people. And uh, so the, the main challenge for us is not necessarily new product, although we do have new product, but the challenge is to just make sure that everything that we do is, is better and better and better. And uh, that requires people, that requires machinery, uh, that requires investigating the latest technology as far as materials and heat treating and things like that. And uh, what that does, I mean, John Kilroy was very kind in, in some of his words and so was Frank, but the fact of the matter is, is that we rub shoulders with some pretty, you know, uh, fantastic people. I guess that's, I, I don't know how else to describe it. And uh, my grandmother used to tell me that, Tom, if you keep your, your mouth shut, people will never know how, you know, how stupid you are. So it's, it's time to learn. And she said that, you know, you keep your eyes and and, and ears open and you're going to learn something. And uh, that's what we've done all these years. And so by, by rubbing shoulders with, with, you know, the engine builders and, and uh, we get our information from them and we sort it out and give it back to them. And uh, the, uh, the latest and greatest is the LS engine. And of course we did all the development work for GM on the crankshaft side of it originally way back when in the early nineties. And, uh, when we do a job like that for the factories, we make 140, 150 billet crankshafts. And then they go through that, you know, 10, 15, 20 cranks at a time. And uh, the, the engine itself has developed over the years and of course to what it is today. And of course it's, it's replacing the, the iconic small block. And as far as power and cylinder head and breathing and all that sort of stuff, that engine is, is really spectacular. And, what we've done is tried to cover all the, the bases because the cranks in the engines are different. There's several different models and basically the difference is the nose of the crank, but we have to have all those parts available because the engine builders, each one of them has a different idea and a different, you know, block and assembly they're, they're starting with. So we have all the, the billet as well as forgings and then the center counterweighted cranks. And then we have the connecting rods go along with them. So we've, uh, that's been the, the thrust in the last year is the quality side of it, along with the LS program. Yeah, the LS program, it almost seems like anybody who's doing any kind of a build these days or, or get something that you know they're going to make a hot rod, someone's saying, hey, you're going to LS swap that? You're going to you know, do something with that? Um, you know, on, on your end of it, Frank, um, just being able to have um, you know, what is offered by Tom and by SCAT and all of that, how, how big of an asset have they been to you? Because everyone is always changing. Once someone finds power, well, the next thing they want to do is find more power. But to at least be able to have a good foundation with all of that, how important is that? 
Oh, it's super important. Uh, Tom has got such a broad spectrum of uh, availability uh, through the different families of engines. And what he's done is built a better mousetrap constantly. Uh, the center counterweights on the crank uh, has become huge. Back in the day, 800 horsepower, 1,000 horsepower was, was huge. Nowadays, that's basic street stuff, uh, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. Uh, you know, guys are looking for two, 3,000 plus horsepower and twin turbo, methanol, nitrous. It's, it's, it's nuts. And you got to have some really solid parts to keep this together. And, you know, I don't look good if it's coming apart. So I only use the best. Making the the crank and the connecting rods, making those two pieces right there, uh, and, and Tom and or uh, you know Frank, if you want to comment on this, I mean, how important is it that that you've got both parts that you're making, those two that you know are just integral to the internals? Well, what we have done with our whole product line, uh, starting out with the cast cranks and then working through the the standard forged cranks and then into the custom forged and then into the billet cranks. What we've tried to do is mix and match. And so for a, uh, an individual or an engine builder, the problem is that he has to select parts and he has to, to make sure that what he's selecting is compatible with each other. So what we've done, uh, and this is where the rotating assemblies come in, what we've done is we've designed a connecting rod uh, for a cast crank. There's no reason for you to buy an expensive H-beam rod and then put it on a, a 383 cast crank that costs you 250 bucks retail or whatever, why should you buy a $500 set of rods when we can, we can furnish you with a $250 set of I-beam rods with the good ARP bolts and all the rest of it. So what we've tried to do, uh, and I think this is very important because one of the, the problems that we run into uh, is that we're making basically on the crankshaft side, we're making a generic part. And what I mean by that is that we're making the part heavy because if we don't know the components that the customer is putting with it, then if I take the material off, for him to put it back on is called Mallory. And that, that runs the, the ticket up you know, very rapidly. And the fact is that he bought the material and I took it off and threw it away. So we make the parts heavy, but then when he buys his rods and his pistons, of course, everything has to fit. The rod length has to match the counterweight diameter. Obviously the pistons have to match the cylinder heads and bore and all that, but none the same, the connecting rod has to, has to fit with the crank. It has to be strong enough to sustain the piston on overlap at peak power uh, because that piston you know, when you run an engine up to, uh, you know, a, a typical LS engine, like the LSX engine that, that uh, we worked with, that we supply the cranks and rods to GM for, that piston at Redline weighs 10,600 or 700 pounds. Now, the piston, you know, in the box is, what is it? It's a pound or pound and a half or whatever it is. But when it's running at 6,000 RPM, that's what it weighs. So that connecting rod has to be able to grab that piston at top dead center and say, you know what? We're stopping and we're going the other way. And so the material on the, on the beam has to be sufficient. The material across the, the wrist pin side has to be sufficient so that when that happens, the rod doesn't you know, have a problem. 
So we kind of feel that, that having rods and cranks compatible with each other, and we know through um, not only experience with the engine builders, but we know through testing that the, the parts are compatible. So one of the things that customers buy when they buy our product is that technical knowledge of sorting out the parts so that they only buy it once and um, you know it, it uh, is going to do the job and meet their expectations. Well, let's expand on this a little bit. And we do have a couple of questions coming in um, from the chat, which we'll get to. If you have a question, you can just type it into the chat uh, for either Tom or for Frank, and, uh, and we'll talk about that. But you talk about, you know, you starting things heavy. Let's talk about balancing and all of that, because that is usually a pretty hot topic. And this is something that both of you can cover. But Frank, I'll ask you first, uh, challenges with respect to balancing and some of the areas that well, people have a tendency to get themselves in trouble. Uh, absolutely. Balancing can be real tough sometimes. Uh, sometimes you need to take a lot of material out and then sometimes you need to add a lot of material. Uh, it's always, I shouldn't say always, uh, it's generally easier to remove material than it is to add. Um, however, there's some cases where you're going to remove a lot of material and we don't like to put more than two holes in, in any end of the counterweight. Um, once our, our guideline is, uh, Usually 100, 120 grams on each end is about the most we're going to try and remove. If it's centered on the counterweight, we can generally do it unless it's like an LS crank, which has pretty narrow counterweights. Um, and Tom's stuff is usually pretty close, which makes our life easy. Um, but there's times where we got to take more than that off and we chuck it up in the middle or lathe. And we also do no holes balancing, which is very time consuming gets expensive, uh, but it less windage, stronger crank, you know, re reducing the stress risers and uh, everything that the hole can cause. So um, that, that does take some time. Tom, how about on uh, your end when it comes to on, balancing? On our end, uh, we have five balancers, Heinz balancers that we run eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, and one of the, the, the things that when we take an order, I mean, obviously when we sell to a warehouse and they put a part on the shelf, that's one thing. But when we're talking to an engine builder, we're talking to a, a end user, the most important thing for us is to ask questions so that we know what that customer expects, so that we know what we have to do to make sure that we reach his expectations. And one of the things that, that uh, you know, we, we ask them about is, okay, so you're buying a crankshaft, what's your, what's your bob weight? If they're not buying components from us, what is the bob weight? And when I mentioned that we make the cranks heavy, then what we would do in the, in the manufacturing process, uh, every surface of the crankshaft is machined pretty much. Uh, and so when we're turning the diameter of the crankshaft, we'll turn the diameter down so that the weight on the counterweight is um, in a range like Frank is talking about where he can take and drill a couple simple holes in it and put the engine together. Now, the, the, the problem there is, is that, you know, a lot of balance shops don't have or people that have balancers don't have uh a lathe heavy enough to do that sort of thing. And what's important about that is when you look at a crankshaft, the, the counterweights on the crankshaft, if you look down the nose of the crank, 
the counterweights are rotated. If you look at the position of each one of them, they're rotated in kind of a corkscrew. And so the out of balance condition is basically an X through the center main. And so when you're balancing the crank, what you're doing is you're closing that X to two parallel lines. So most balancers uh, read the out of balance condition at the end of the crank at each end. But what that's telling you is, is an average out of balance from the center out on both sides. So by turning the counterweight like Frank is talking about, which is absolutely the best way to, to do it, by turning the counterweights, what you're doing is you're correcting the out of balance all the way down the line rather than correcting it in each end. And because when you correct it in each end, it's in each end, but what's going on in the middle? You haven't taken care of any of that. The other problem with that is, is that when you drill more than two holes, what ends up happening is, is if you know, we've had cranks come back from people that say, man, I can't balance this, blah, 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 blah. And they send the crank back and it's got three or four holes in the counterweight. And when you look at it effectively, what they've done is they've taken this counterweight, which is counteracting the weight of the rod and the piston. And what it's doing is opposite the rod and the piston, effectively you made that counterweight to look like a V and there's nothing in the center where it's supposed to be because you drilled all the hole, all the, the material out. But when you turn it, because most cranks are cam cut for piston and rod clearance, when you turn it, the outer diameter of the crank, once you get past 45 degrees from top dead center, that counterweight value is only 50%. So when you stick it in the lathe and you turn it down, you're removing 50% material. So effectively, you're lightening the crankshaft double or more of what the out-of-balance condition is, which reduces the weight of the crankshaft, obviously, substantially, versus the holes. And you haven't interrupted the integrity of the location of the counterweights. So that's absolutely the best way to do it. And of course, again, it's back to if I took and, and made like on a small block Chevy, we have a standard of 1800 grams, which is our shelf crankshaft that it'll balance to 1800 grams. But in today's world with light connecting rods and pistons and stuff, you know, some guys have a 1700 gram bob weight. Well, that's a tough one to balance. I mean, you got to do a lot of work. And if you start drilling holes, you take a, a nice crankshaft and you make it junk immediately. And of course, what ends up with that is crankshaft breakage. And then mm. that, that makes everybody upset. So it's balancing is a real important thing. It's an important process that, that we look at and we offer rough balancing. We offer finished balancing. The, the shops like Frank that are equipped to do that you know, he can pay us or pay his employees, you know, either one. But the point is that Frank knows how to do it. And, uh, but not all the people are, you know, have the equipment to do it and, and do the job right. Wow. That's a, a great lesson in precision and procedure on, uh, on being able to do it right. And, and, and thank you for that. Um, a couple of things from the chat real quick. First of all, uh, Marty uh, Fiocca says, Thank you, Tom, from generations of VW enthusiasts. Glad you and Scat have not forgotten us in your hot rod <laughs> roots. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, my employees and their families and my family thank them for supporting us. Uh, and then uh, another question from uh, Joe War. It says, uh, I might have missed it, but where did the name Scat come from? I knew that was going to happen. Uh, first off, it means absolutely nothing. 
Uh, although in later times, you know, friends of mine, you know, sitting around having a beer, they, they said that it really stands for Southern California Auto Thieves. But that really isn't true. But actually, the way it happened, I was in college. Uh, I started my business when I was in college. And uh, around 1962, uh, I, w the way I started the business was I was selling cores to the rebuilders. And of course, in those days, uh, that started with the racers. I was the go-to guy for 392 Chrysler and, you know, the, the junior fuel guys. I mean, everything that was built in those days, uh, you started with a junkyard motor. And so I, in building hot rods and stuff, I got onto the fact that I'm one of seven kids. My dad was a school teacher. We didn't have any money. And so working in a service station for a dollar and a quarter an hour, that didn't quite cut it. And I figured out that I knew where I could buy an engine for 50 bucks and sell it for a hundred dollars. And I could do that a couple of times a day. And I figured, boy, that's a lot better than standing in front of this pump with the nozzles. So that's the way the business developed. And one day, the one of the engine rebuilders that I was selling to was upset because they didn't have a business license. And he wanted to charge me. If you can relate to this, the sales tax in those days was two and a half or three percent. Of course, in the state of California, now it's 10 percent. But I was upset with the two and a half percent. I wasn't going to pay that. So. I, I went to the Board of Equalization and I stood at the window and, and the lady, I filled out the form and paid the three and a half bucks and the lady says, what's the name of your company? And I, it, it panicked me. And so for whatever reason, my grandmother was a very staunch German lady and she used to chase us around when she wanted us out of the kitchen with a broom or whatever. And she goes, scat, 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 get out of here. And uh, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I told the lady and she says, you want to spell it with one T or two T's? I said, well, one T. She says, you want to write it in? I said, no, you can do it. So she did it. And that's that. It's a silly story, but that's, that's how it happened. But it's a story. And that's what's good is you yeah, have one. There so you go. I like that. It, it's I've a story. It. Yeah, I've never heard it. So I was happy to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, great question. It like, iconic. You know, uh, Chrysler decided they liked it. So they stole the trademark and they came out with their scat pack which is a scat trademark and we got into a punch up over it but um so i guess you know it's it's uh over the 60 years has created a you know an image that that uh, some people have different opinions of that but the the image of performance and, and you know scatting when it comes to uh music you know if you listen to jazz you know scatting around is is improvisation of 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 music well we kind of look at it as improvisation of technical you know automotive stuff that's what we do so i guess the name's appropriate <laughs> i like that i like that uh but frank i want to you know turn it over to you a little bit and ask you just about the business and and again what people are looking for and you know let's just say i'm maybe looking to move to the next step in my racing and i'm coming to an engine builder like you and i'm not exactly sure what i want but i think I know what I want. And then, of course, being able to take Tom's products and use it for all of that. Well, Tom had a good point. Uh, our job is to ask all the right questions. And uh, some people may think they want a certain product and a certain direction they think they need to go. And a lot of times they're just way out in left field and you got to reel them back in. It's like, well, you really don't need to do that. Here's a better approach and here's why. And that's 
just decades of experience uh, that we have. And, you know, we offer that uh, to everybody that calls in. I, I ask a lot of questions. I have a full form, a full page form I fill out. Uh, uh, what's your wants, needs, budget application, type of vehicle, gear ratio, tire diameter, transmission, uh, header diameter, fuel system, all that stuff. So I also find red flags, as I call it, uh, of potential problems. Well, you want a thousand horsepower, but you got a two and a half inch diameter exhaust system. That's going to be a bottleneck. So, um, but that's one of the things, uh, like I said, ask a lot of questions, fill, fill in the blanks and steer them in the right direction. And we've got such a uh, variety of engine packages that we have uh, developed. They're all truly uh, dyno proven. We bought a lot of wrong parts to find the right parts. Uh, we save our customers that headache and expense of doing so. So sit down, talk, ask the questions, get them the right product. Now, both of you have talked a lot about matching up products. I mean, from the bottom all the way to the top end. And, and Todd, I know you've talked about, you know, well, sometimes people are buying stuff, but you're not sure what's on the other end of what they're doing. How far can you service someone with what you do uh, in that? And if you would just also explain just how important it is to be able to know all of the information so people get the right product. Well, that's why uh, we developed the rotating assembly. Because in the rotating assembly, you get one box it's got the crank, it's got the rods, it's got the pistons, the rings, the bearings, the pins, the pin locks, it's all balanced, ready to go so that all you have to do is wash the parts and assemble it if you have a machined lock. Now, one of the things about that, and this is uh, besides the compatibility of the rods and the crankshaft, now you get into the compatibility, <clears throat> excuse me, of the bearings, you get into uh, we deal with all the different piston manufacturers and not all of the manufacturers have the best forging for a given application. So we've gone through and, and we've selected this piston from this manufacturer and that one from that manufacturer. And uh, the, the engine builder may not have that opportunity to investigate and, 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 and look at all the different components. And uh, in our product line, the, the, if you look at it, we do all the, the, the popular stuff. But then we also have niche markets. I mean, if you look at the catalog, we make all the crankshafts for the flatheads. We make all the crankshafts for the Model Ts and the Model A Fords. And we have the FEs and we have the Oldsmobiles and, and the Pontiacs and so forth, besides the popular Chevrolet Ford and, and Chrysler stuff. And so... That's where it comes into play because with those engines, you know, what's, what's the right part? And, and so we've done all of that uh, over the course of time. And that gives the, the, the responsibility to us when we ship them that box, every part in there is, is on our shoulders where with a customer just going out and buying a part because this one is 300 bucks and the other one is 350. Uh, he may have spent the 300, but he needed the 350 or vice versa. So it puts the it puts the responsibility on our shoulders. But but we're willing to take that responsibility because we know at the end that package that the man's going to get is going to be appropriate. And assuming that you know the assembly is correct and he doesn't do you know he doesn't run into a problem with tuning or something that he's going to have. Uh, he's going to fulfill his expectations to go as fast as he wants to go. And, 
and make things happen. And again, I think this goes a lot to how long you've been around and how long you've been doing this and how much you've developed in this as well. And, and when we're talking about mismatching parts and all of this stuff, maybe this is uh, the appropriate time for this question. But crank and rod breakage, why? Why do we see it? And how do you prevent it? Well, uh, first off, the crankshaft is the strongest part in the engine. Uh, a billet crank has 160,000 pound tensile strength. Uh, a forged crank is 140 to 145. Cast crank is run 100 to 110. But your aluminum block and the cast iron block, the tensile strength of that block is only 35,000. So that puts the, the, the responsibility on the crankshaft to stay together. And if a crank breaks, it's not, you know, we have, um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is we're like a corner. You know, we got a body on the marble table and the corner looks at it and he says, well, the hole is right here and it's this big around and it went out this way and it's that big around and therefore that must have been a 44 Magnum and he was shot at this angle. So, you know, over the years, one of the things that, that has happened is when we do the forensics of a broken part, we see common, common threads. And on a crankshaft, uh, and this is something that, that, that people have a little bit of trouble grasping, but the fact is that when you build an engine, and if it's a 400 horsepower engine, the first cylinder is two cylinders is 100 horsepower, then you have 200, then you have 300, then you have 400. If it breaks in the front, that's only 100 horsepower. All the power goes out the back. So if something broke in the front, it's typically something that was bolted on the front of the crankshaft to wiggle it. In the back, if you break the, you know, the rear of the crank, then you start thinking about power. You start thinking about block integrity. You start thinking about, you know, the, the Chevrolet engine has the thrust, the, the 350 and, and 454, the thrust is in the rear. And so the wrap up of the crank has the full length of the, of the block to do that. And they typically have a problem in the number four main. And sometimes it's number four and number two, depending on how it's jump roping inside. With the LS engine, and this is one of the things that they did, is they switched the thrust to the center. Now that's something Ford has done forever but in Chrysler. So what that means is that the wrap of the crank is one half the length. So when you start looking at these things and you realize how the crank is designed and then you start to diagnose what the breakage was, if it breaks the nose off, it's something you bolted on the nose. And if it breaks the front throw, that's something that was bolted on the nose. And a lot of times, and there's only two things that make that happen. Well, three things actually. One is, is somebody uses a blower on a small block Chevy and they'll break the nose off if they use the standard diameter nose. I mean, you're taking that torque off at 90 degrees and you're running this thing at, at 6,000 RPM or whatever you're doing with it. And then the blower sneezes just because, and of course the nose comes off and of course the part is broken, therefore the part's bad. Well, it's not, it's that you bolted the blower on. Uh, you also get into issues with valve train. And valve train transfers all that vibration down into the crank itself. And then last but not least, and this is a touch, touchy subject, but it's, and I'm gonna give you the world according to Tom, but 
people put diet, you know, they put dampeners on there and they haven't got any idea what that dampener does. And the manufacturer doesn't either. Because when, when an engine is designed and when we do the work for the factories, what happens is they go through all of this testing and they're checking all the time. They have instrumentation on the nose of the crank and it's called a torsograph. And they, they plot out the wiggle of the crankshaft and it looks like a cardiogram. And as they change the rod length and the weighted components and valve timing and ignition timing and you know all of these different things, they measure that, and when they're completely done with the design of the engine, the last, very last thing they do is design a dampener to take out that last wiggle so that, you know, Aunt Emma can get in her new Chevrolet Malibu and drive from Los Angeles to San Francisco up I-5 at 80 miles an hour and not have her teeth fall out. Well, now a hot rodder comes on, you know, Mr. Beck comes on, and what does he do? He takes this engine and he ups the compression and changes the stroke and blah, 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 blah. And now he's got, you know, 700, 800,000 or whatever he's got. And he's going to go down to the speed shop and buy a dampener that just comes off the shelf that fits that application. Doesn't happen. So a dampener, a wrong dampener, a wrong size dampener, a wrong design dampener uh, will break the front of a crankshaft. And that's 90% of what we see. A connecting rod, if a connecting rod breaks in the beam, if it breaks in the, the beam itself, the problem is, is that the weight of the piston was too heavy for the rod, the material, the amount of material in the rod. And so when the, the rod decided to take and change course and pull the piston back, it didn't have the material necessary to do that. It wasn't strong enough. And of course it broke. So, you know, and obviously when you burn something down and you, you take and burn a bearing, uh, it turns black and blue. And what actually happened was that black and blue means that you heated it up with friction enough that you actually annealed the part. So the tensile strength was gone in the part and it broke. So there's some very basic things that are very easy to look at, very easy to explain. And there are things that, that happen occasionally that it ends up, that's because God said so. I mean, you have, you have no, you know, there's no explanation. You just step back. And one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, is a fix on something like that is examining the, the engine and what you're doing with it. And maybe we need to add more material because the only thing that we can do to strengthen the crankshaft is to add more material to it. So these are all things that you sort out, but if we're going to, try to figure out what went wrong. We got to have all the parts to look at because all the parts were involved. And uh, it's something that uh, this is on our end. And I'm sure on Frank's end too, with his experience that, that the two of us have seen enough. And when you, when you see it time and time again, and, and you figure out that there's a common, there's a common denominator here, you kind of draw a conclusion that says, this is what happened. So, but that's all part of it. That's part of the expertise. And that's where Frank was talking about, you know, dragging a customer back to reality. Uh, this is where the component parts comes in. And, and so many times I know in, in, on, on his end, as well as our end, you know, a customer has his build sheet of what he's doing and then he's got a part and you go, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. And our approach to it um, is not to tell the guy that, that 
you know, he, he made a mistake or whatever. We try to give him the technical side of it so that he understands what we're telling him rather than just saying, no, you can't use that. You must use this. And, uh, you know, kind of sitting and, and going through and educating him a little bit and telling him why you think that way. Uh, and if they accept it, that's great. If they don't, well, that's the best we can do. But uh, keeping them out of trouble from our experience is because we've seen failures and we understand what the failures are. And, and there's a common thread in many cases. And customers will come in and, and many times, you know, we've turned customers down. They want us to do something. I say, no, I don't want to do that. Because I know that eventually something's going to happen. And then I'm the bad guy because it's my part that, that broke. And so I'd rather... I'd rather pass than to get involved in it. And I'm sure, Frank, you're the same way. I mean, you're, you're not going to build an engine for somebody that you're not going to build an engine with a cast crank and the guy put a 671 on it. I mean, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah, Frank, yeah. you were you were nodding a lot. Um, it, it, obviously, uh, everything Tom was saying is pretty relatable to you as well. Do you, do you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years and not as long as Tom. I'm just getting <laughs> getting started. Um, but the uh, we turn away work, more work than we actually take in. Uh, we're just understaffed, overworked. So it's actually a nice position. I get to cherry pick and you know pick the jobs that are good for us, make us look good. And as far as breakage, uh, what Tom had mentioned, uh, blowers, people over tightening the blower belt constantly. We run into that. And we get uh, people in. Hey, what happened? It's real simple. You, way too much <laughs> that blower belt doesn't need to be super tight especially cold and even when it's hot it doesn't need to be tight so uh, another issue we found in the past there was a dampener company that made some really heavy dampeners and a small block chevy with a uh, snout is pretty small diameter and on a cast crank and out in desert racing uh, we do a lot of the off-road stuff being here in the southwest um, you know, they break the snout of the crank off, and of course, they come back to us and you know, he sold me junk. Oh. So, that's why we've gotten into what we do now. We build complete turnkey engines, uh, we don't do bits and pieces anymore, and we dyno every single engine. Uh, that eliminated over 90% of the problems we had. Uh, people with mismatching parts. You know, we knew what we did was right, but then they go buy a carburetor to swap meet and, you know, it didn't work. And this guy was selling that carburetor there for a reason. Um, but uh, getting the right products, having all the components matched is critical. And like I said, uh, the best way I can explain it is we went out and bought an awful lot of wrong parts to find the right parts. So everything just comes together and, and it's all matched and works well together. Yeah. And again, this goes back to decades of experience. I do want to get in a couple of questions from the chat, if you don't mind. Um, uh, let's see. Walt says, uh, Tom, you mentioned starting out with 392 Hemis. Do you have any cranks for them now? <laughs> yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, um, we make those in billet. We have them on the shelf. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the guys are cranks. Uh uh, I'm, you know, the, the, the oh, I think you might be breaking up on us just a little bit here, Tom. The, uh, uh, the cranks that we, we that ran, is that better? 
Hang on. Try it again. Start out again. You you did say, um, yeah, you do have it for the 392 Hemi. You've got some billet on the shelf um, if you want to continue from there. Oh, okay. A lot of guys, you know, they're and uh, the stock crankshaft was not really a flash piece. And when we used to, you know, before we had the, the billets and doing things like that, uh, the important guy in the shop was the welder and the first thing we did they had an radius in them and uh, so we'd weld our weights and we welded those on and the strokes so we welded on the top of the journal and then of course we made the crank look good but in order to make a stock crank perform at all those were the things you had to do. And so there's there's a shortage of those cranks because they broke uh, in all applications. And uh, so the, 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 the only availability is a billet. But, you know, we have the Cacklefest guys and we sell stuff like that to them. And, and there's some street guys that we sell because the billet crank, of course, is, is quite a bit more money than what, a, you know, they're used to looking at a price of a Chevrolet crank. Well, you know, a billet crank is three times that four times that so but yeah we do have them sure all right good to know uh another comment said just want to say there's been a very informative session doesn't get any better than tom and frank to the best in the business thank you for taking the time um and let's see braden fincham said some of the best and most versatile cranks and companies around happy to have scat in my shop and in customer vehicles as well as my private mud bog truck so um, this really has been one of the most informative sessions so far that I've been a part of uh, here during online race industry week. So I, I do thank you for that. Um, while our time is starting to run out, I, I did want to ask you, Tom, you know, is there anything that maybe we didn't cover? I know you talked about the LS engines. You talked about some of the niche markets like, you know, the, the Flathead, the Pontiac, the Olds and the Chrysler and all that. But is there anything that maybe we haven't covered yet that you wanted to make sure uh, your customer base or potential customers should know about? Well, thank you for asking. Actually, um, the most important thing for me is is to be able to share some of the knowledge that we've acquired here over the years with our customers, and you know, to let the know, the customers know that you know we're here for them. I mean, obviously, we're in business. Uh, our business philosophy is the end of day. At the end of the day, we should have more in our pocket than what we started. Uh, doesn't always work out that way, but that's the, that's the plan. And, but, um, you know, the knowledge that, that has been acquired over the years, we've tried to put into the product line and, and Frank mentioned and very kindly that I'm accessible and that's true. I mean, to be able to talk through with the customer, I have all the time in the world for the customers and we've got six or seven guys in the sales department that, that are there for the customer. And the most important thing for us is to make sure that the customer is, getting what he wants, that we meet his expectations and uh, to prevail on us to ask those questions and to let us help them. And uh, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, the performance industry is, is, uh, is something that, uh, you know, I can't imagine working in any other industry. I mean, I've done it all my life, but none the same. I can't imagine getting up in the morning and going to a shoe store to fit shoes on kids. You know, I mean, that, that, this is, 
that so many great people and so many great experiences and, and having the opportunity with you guys to share that is very special. And thank you all. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to let folks know that you can always go to epartrade.com and, uh, and go to SCAT's page and connect directly with them as well. Um, Frank, I, I also want to ask you real quick as, as we get here to uh, closing, you know, maybe if you want to speak of, um, you know, the customer service aspect, what you do as a builder, how SCAT is able to help you. And if someone wants you to build them an engine with their product, what do they need to do? Well, thank you. Um, Scott, uh, or I'm sorry, SCAT has been a, just a tremendous resource for us, having parts available all the time and great parts to pick from. So it's made our life easier. Uh, we used to take factory rods and beam grind them, polish them, shopping them, recon them with ARP bolts. And you, know, you back in the day, you had a choice of curl rods or factory rods. There was nothing in between. And we literally did hundreds of thousands of rods that way. Thank you, Tom, for coming up with a rod because really <laughs> doing all that work. It was nasty. So <laughs> made my life easy. Uh, like I said, he's always great to work with. Uh, it's, it's a great product. So we're happy. Well, you guys have been fantastic. This has just been incredible and a, and a wealth of knowledge gained uh, here over the last 50 minutes or so. And certainly appreciate you being a part of EPAR Trade and being a part of Online Race Industry Week as well. This has just been an incredible resource. So thank you both very much. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Registering on EPAR Trade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.